Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Yo, yo, yo. This is season three of Good Morning. Can you believe it, Sal? We've come to season three. I actually can't believe it, Im. <laughs> it's mental. Isn't Where has the time gone? So excited for this season, though, and especially today's guest. We have got a goodie for you all. What a way to start off the season. We are speaking with Leslie Kane who wrote Surviving Death. Guys, no big deal. No big deal. Like we were so excited for this one, weren't we? And a lot of you when Surviving Death, so it was a book um, that Leslie wrote a couple of years ago and then it was made into a Netflix documentary which came out in January of this year. And there was so much chatter on social media, especially in the grief community around Surviving Death. Um, and we, since watching it, it blew our minds, didn't it? We were like, this is absolutely incredible. We read her book and we thought we've got to get Leslie on the podcast. So the day is here and we're really excited to bring you this conversation. So a lot of you guys will know Sal and I have been on quite a spiritual journey since our mums died. We have found a lot of comfort and reassurance in knowing that there is more to life after death. And it is an area that we have been exploring um, lately on the podcast. And it just brings us so much comfort. Um, yeah, we just wanted to delve into it more. And Leslie is the perfect person to be doing this episode with because she knows a lot about life after death. She's an investigative, I can't never say that word. She's an investigative, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky one. She's an investigative <laughs> journalist did I say it right nailed it you nailed it she's an investigative journalist and not only is like written about UFOs and other amazing topics which is a whole nother episode in itself but yeah she writes all about life after death and consciousness and reincarnation and it's just such a juicy juicy episode it really is. So Leslie wrote the book, Surviving Death, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for the Afterlife. And it's basically a widely researched investigation into whether consciousness survives death. And it was made then made into the Netflix documentary series. And it's just absolutely bloody fascinating. I think, you know, as grievers, we do want to believe that um, life you know that, that life isn't the end and that you know when you die that our loved ones do live on and there's so many questions that we have around that topic so Leslie's book and then the Netflix documentary series really dives into all of the different ways that consciousness lives on um, after after death and looks at all the evidence and scientific and academic research as well as bringing in personal experiences and she's just an absolutely amazing lady isn't she Im? She is honestly one of the nicest people I think I've ever spoken to in my whole life. I we were, we were absolutely buzzing, weren't we, after we spoke to Leslie? You know, when you just yeah. have those like interviews and she was just such a beautiful human and we were both I just th- like... I think I said to her, I'm like, Sal, is that our new best friend? 
<laughs> but we say that every time because all of our guests are amazing. But Leslie is just so, so lovely. You guys are going to love like everything that she has to say. Can I just quickly tell everyone about these two signs that I got after we spoke to Leslie? Oh so God, a lot yes. of this episode, we do talk about signs again. We know that you guys love signs and we're all about the signs. Um, I hadn't actually asked my mum for a sign in quite some time. And so I was inspired to do so again. So I asked her, it was yesterday, I was at the park with my daughter and I said to her out loud, mom, can you just show me that you're around? Cause I just really wanted her there with me. I was like, just give me a sign. I didn't ask for anything specific this time. I just wanted to see what would come up. So I was watching a movie with Layla in the afternoon and I looked down at my arm and I was wearing a black jumper and I had a white feather like wedged into the wool of the jumper. I, oh I sent you a picture, didn't I? Yes. You saw it. Like it was literally like stuck in there and I, I was like, oh my God, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. And then I was in the kitchen getting dinner ready and I looked in the kitchen sink and there was a $2 coin in the kitchen sink. And I'm like, Ben, did you put a coin in the sink? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, there's a $2 coin in the kitchen sink. I need to know, did you put that there? Tell me now. And he's like, no, I did not put that there. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is amazing. And and yeah. so in our conversation with Leslie, we talk quite a bit about Laurel and Jackson, who Leslie had a reading with, and she's a really um, highly regarded medium in the States. And she has written a book about signs I think a lot of our listeners are probably already familiar with it. But in her book, Im, she talks about coins being something that like, that because metal's easy to manipulate, um, loved ones can use coins as like ways to send signs. So 100% that was your mum. Yes. Um, that is like two epic signs in a row. She was like, yeah, she was on 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 fire Screaming yesterday. At me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice though. Like, yeah. And we talk with Leslie a lot about, her personal experiences with receiving signs, which I think was quite a transformational process for her as she was researching and writing the book. Um, and yeah, we, we go into it all, don't we? It's such a fascinating conversation. So shall we jump into it and, and get Leslie on? Absolutely. Enjoy, guys. It is so nice to connect with you. Thank you for taking the time um, to speak with us. We are not going to lie. We've been pretty excited about this one. I'm so, so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint you. Oh, you absolutely <laughs> won't. We're so um, excited. Well, I'm, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think it's really important to, you know, help people deal with grief. So we've got so much to delve into on this episode. So to get started, Leslie, your book, Surviving Death, which explores research and evidence that suggests that consciousness lives on after we die. And that is just such a profound and fascinating concept. And your book was also the inspiration behind the Netflix documentary, which was released earlier this year, which is also called Surviving Death. And we cannot tell you how much hope and comfort that both your book and the series has given to Sal and I and a lot of our listeners as well, hasn't it, Sal? It really, really has. I think when someone dies, Leslie, and, and you, you will know this um, more than anyone, we often want to believe that death isn't the end, um, but it can be seen as a little bit woo-woo if you admit to believing in life after death. And people might not realise that there actually is substantial research out there, and academic and scientific, um, into consciousness living on after death. And that, for us both, was one of the things that made surviving death so fascinating and so refreshing. 
So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, well, I think it's so important for people to understand that because there's nothing like personal experience. I mean, then you have a knowing, but not everybody has personal experience. And I think that the research really complements and adds to it. And it can be enough to convince people without experiences. So yeah, there's a wealth of, of very, very sophisticated scientific research that's been done by psychiatrists and cardiologists and you know, people, uh, people in a lot of different fields who have been involved with this. So I try to bring some of the best of that into my book. Um, and I have references for everybody who wants to go delve into it more. So it is really, really important. I'm glad you brought that up. Leslie, your journalistic background is primarily in UFO research, which is a whole other podcast episode and is absolutely fascinating. Um, but can you tell us why you decided to research evidence into the afterlife and how surviving death came to be? Sure. Well, I had spent so many years researching UFOs and, and writing about them and, you know, as a journalist, as a reporter. And then I wrote a book on UFOs that came out in 2010, which was a New York Times bestseller. It was kind of like the culmination of 10 years of work. And so after that, we there was a, 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 a show we did for a channel, a TV channel in the United States called History Channel based on that book. And there was a couple of years after the book, but you know, then I was really ready to kind of delve into something else. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that my publisher invited me and said, would, what, would you like to write another book? What might that be about? And I immediately knew this was what I wanted to write about. This was what I wanted to do next because it's something I had had in the back of my mind and kind of played around with and looked into all during the time I was involved with the UFO work. I just hadn't published anything on it, but I had gotten very interested in studies based uh, about young children that mem with memories of past lives and had looked into that. And when this invitation came along, um, I was really ready to just jump into this. I had also lost a close friend in 2011. It was like two years before I started researching this book. And that, that had been very provocative for me because I was with this person at the moment he died. We went through a long hospice process. And you know I went through the whole dying process. And that moment of death is so surreal and so hard to comprehend that that person suddenly is gone. Mm -hmm. It was very provocative for me. And, and I started really you know, it, it made me ask questions about, well, what is this really all about? You know, mm -hmm. is, can somebody really just be gone? And it's like their body is just all they ever were. And then that's all that's here. And like, it just none of it made any sense to me. So that sort of was really stimulating to me. And when I started the book, the other really interesting aspect of it is that I had no idea where it was going to go. I mean, I knew I was really interested in the reincarnation cases. I, had, I knew something about near-death experiences. Um, I knew the topics that I wanted to cover, but it was really a journey that I went on of exploration while I wrote the book and ended up having all these experiences that I never, ever imagined would happen. You know, I thought it would just be a purely a research book. It turned out to be a lot more personal than I ever imagined it would be. I think there's a soundbite in the, the Surviving Death um, Netflix documentary that sums up your point really beautifully about, you know, that when someone dies and you think, is that it? Um, the journalist Deborah Blum says, 
You live this life of energy and purpose and love and hope and dreams. And does all of that just disappear? Or is there an echo that we leave like some sort of cosmic imprint? And that really resonated with us both because you do wonder when someone dies, like, well, what just happened? Like they live this life and this life of, you know, so many things and then just gone like that. It's hard to comprehend. It really is, especially when you see it. I mean, he was there breathing. He just mm -hmm. stopped breathing and then he wasn't there anymore. And it was really like he just left, mm. you know, and it wasn't like he just didn't exist anymore. You just couldn't it, it couldn't see it that way. And it's true what you're saying. I love that. I love that quote you brought up by Deborah Blum. I mean, there's an energy that's a person. There's energy there. There's and that energy has to, it's hard to imagine that could just disappear. I mean, it's not supposed to, energy is not supposed to be able to be destroyed like that. So it's a very mysterious thing. Um, and, you know, we don't have concrete answers, but as I said in my book, it's all very suggestive and provocative. And it's so fascinating to explore it and contemplate it and try to understand as best we can uh, what, what it's all about. But it's it, it just, after all the things I've learned, I just can't accept that we're, you know, the, the body is all there is and consciousness is generated by the brain. And when that, when my friend died, his body was just this matter that is all that was left of him. One thing that we were both absolutely blown away by in your book, Leslie, were the studies of near-death experiences and particularly the one of Pam Reynolds. So for any of our listeners who aren't familiar, Pam had a brain aneurysm and was without blood to her brain for about an hour and had no brain activity or function. And she was able to see and hear things that were going on in the operating room that there is absolutely no way that she could have known. And so what we have found really fascinating is that a lot of people who have these near-death experiences all report having a similar experience, such as they can view their body and what is going on around them. And they feel this huge sense of being home and warmth and love. And some even recall like being greeted by their loved ones. And for us, having had our mums die suddenly, like this has brought us so much comfort. And I know, I mean, they're all fascinating, but has there been a particular near-death ex near experience story that has really stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, the one you bring up, Pam Reynolds, is certainly one of them. Um, because what's amazing about that case is she was so close to being dead because she had this brain aneurysm. She had literally, her body was cooled down to 16 degrees centigrade, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about as cool as you can get and still be alive. They, and then they drained all the blood out of her body, took off her skull. She had her eyes taped shut and she had this, these machines in her ears that made a loud sound. She says about the, the sound of a lawnmower. So, and she had, and the doctor, Dr. Robert Spetzler, who treated her and did this very, very rare risky surgery on her, um, said that she had absolutely no, zero, zero brain activity because they were monitoring her brain. It was completely flat. You know, sometimes when people are in, in surgery or whatever, they'll have a little bit of activity, but, they, but with her, there was nothing. It was very risky, the surgery. She could have died. So she was under such extreme conditions that you just can't argue that 
somehow she was able to perceive these things. And what makes it really evidential is that when she was out of her body, while she was still hanging around the room before she went off into her near-death experience, she witnessed things and heard things that were happening in the room that she was able to report on later, and they were all confirmed as being what actually happened. So, you know, that in some ways that is more evidential than a near-death experiences because your near-death experience, you're going off into another realm and there's no way to verify any of it. But this, they, the, they could verify, you know, she saw the machine, the kind of equipment they were using. She heard things that they were saying and very detailed descriptions. And the doctor said there is absolutely no way, and he's an expert, no way that she could have perceived that stuff given the situation she was in, and he was completely baffled by it. Then she went off and, and had a near-death experience where she went into the light. And as you guys were saying, she interacted with some deceased relatives and she had this beautiful experience and heard musical sounds and talked to her grandmother and, and then didn't want to come back, which is often another feature that we hear about a lot with people who go into this experience. They don't want to come back. Mm -hmm. And she's very almost humorous when she describes what it was like to have to go back into this body, which she said looked like a thing to her. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> she, uh, she actually, in my book, she writes her in her own words about what happened to her. It's really, really wonderful to read. She's got a sense of humor and she was kind of forced back in by one of her relatives. Oh, that's right. She, <laughs> yeah. And pushed her back in, didn't they? Pushed her back. She didn't want to go. And she <laughs> describes, she knew that they had like done this defilibration or whatever on her heart twice. And the doctor said there was no way she could have known that. But, you know, so it was just an amazing, one of the most famous cases because of the extreme condition of her situation and because she was able to report accurately all these things that happened in the room. There's, you know, and she was in, from a perspective of being above her body, but even if you wanted to argue that, you know, it didn't matter the perspective, she couldn't hear and she couldn't see. And she was completely dead. So it really, really, it just really shows that consciousness can function independently of the brain. I mean, there's, that's just the, I don't see any other way to understand that. And you see that over and over and over again. Her case is just one of the strongest, but there are so many cases that illustrate the same point yeah. that, you know, the consciousness is out there doing its thing without a brain. The other one that blew us away was the opening of surviving death, Mary Neal. So she was submerged under about 10 feet of water when she had a kayaking accident in Chile. Right. So I think it was for about 30 minutes or something. 30 minutes. Like, Astonishing. <laughs> and somehow she was revived. That's just unbelievable. And then she was sort of I, in the middle of nowhere. And then an, an ambulance was on the road, like when she needed to go to hospital. So many amazing things in that, that story as well. That was just amazing. Yeah. And talking about, you know, the, the ex, you know, the reason and the um, explanation for why, like how possibly Pam could have experienced that. There was a, a quote from, um, there's some film footage in the Surviving Death documentary from the researcher Ian Stevenson from DOPS. Um, and he says, the assumption is that when your brain dies, your mind perishes also. But that is so deeply believed by scientists that they what they fail to understand is, in the end, it's just an assumption. Exactly. It's a belief. I mean, there's more and more people now are coming out and really stating that as a fact. More and more scientists are. It's a belief system. 
That's all. It, the, the fact that the, the idea of consciousness being generated by the brain, nobody's been able to show how that happens or what consciousness even is or where it's located in the brain. So they just don't have enough of an explanation for it. I mean, I'm not a, a scientist, but I read this over and over again, that it is basically a kind of philosophical belief system that you're just making that assumption, like you said because it's part of the materialistic paradigm, but mm. there really isn't any proof of it that that's the case. So it's a really important point. Mm. And yeah. I think sort of a, a lot of our listeners are really interested in <clears throat> receiving signs from loved ones and, and communicating with loved ones who have passed over. And what we often do, Leslie, is we, when we're interviewing a guest, we'll throw a couple, we'll throw it out to our our listeners on Instagram and ask them if they've got any questions for our upcoming guests. So we've got a question for you here from one of our listeners. Okay. Um, And her question is, can you tell us about the signs that you received when you were researching the book and how it's impacted your life? I'd be happy to. There were quite a lot of them, so I probably won't go into all of them. But um, I unexpectedly lost my younger brother when I was writing the book. And uh, I think it was in January of 2013. And it was just a complete shock. And, you know, as it, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, he just started manifesting and giving me signs. And there were a whole series of them. And I'd never had a sign from anyone ever before. This was completely new to me. Um, the first one which was just blew my mind, I think partly because it was the first one was that I, I was actually lying in my bed, sobbing with grief. And he, I heard his voice so distinctly. It wasn't a thought that I was having. It was, it was there, this voice. And it was so clearly him because he had a certain way of saying my name and it was exactly the way he would say it. And he said, Leslie, I'm okay, it's okay. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was just absolutely startling to me. It was not a thought of my own. So um, he, you know, that was, that was the first thing. And then I started to, there were, I had other situations with lights, a lot of stuff with electricity. There was one time where I asked for a sign from my brother. I, I started to really commune with him a lot. And, and I, I asked for something to happen. And the next morning, this really bizarre thing happened with lights where um, I walked into my kitchen and I was just putting my mug in the microwave from to heat up my coffee. And right at the moment I was going to do that, the, the lights in the, on the kitchen ceiling started to flash like this. And then they just went off. And, and, and they, I couldn't use the microwave because it was connected to what went off. But not all the lights in the kitchen went off. Not all the lights in the house. There was no kind of electrical problem going on. It was just a few of them. Um, and I, so I, I was like, what, what's going on here? So I picked up the microwave and just put it, plugged it in another part of the kitchen. And then I suddenly realized, my God, this could be my brother. Um, then the lights came back on, but it was, it was so striking because it wasn't, it was just some of the lights and that's not the way electrical systems work. You know, it was very striking to me. And, you know, when you tell these stories to people who have not had these experiences, you kind of think, well, you know. (laughs) <laughs> but when you're the person having them, you know, mm-hmm. as, as I'm sure your listeners do, as I'm sure both of you do, you know, when it's a sign, mm-hmm. uh, it, there's just an energy, there's a knowing, there's a connection, there's an expansion of your awareness that happens and you feel that person. 
I mean, I think the most, one of the most incredible ones I had, I'll just tell you one more was, I had had a reading with Laura Lynn Jackson, who I wrote about in my book, and she, she was also in the Surviving Death series, although the series didn't really capture what a great medium she actually is, I don't think, because when you have cameras on you during a reading, it just affects the energy of what's going on, but she's an yeah. extraordinary medium. And she had told me in a reading that um, my brother's sign for me was a red balloon. Um, and there's a whole context why that happened, but I won't go into that just to, to, to know that. And I, I just sort of said, okay, you know, she said, you're going to start seeing red balloons from him. And I really didn't think that was likely to happen. I was still, you know, at the beginning of the whole journey and everything. And um, I saw a few red balloons right after the reading, but it was, it was um, Valentine's Day. So I thought around Valentine's Day, so I thought, okay, everybody's got their red balloons right now. It doesn't really mean anything. So about a week later, I, I was spent an evening meditating and I was really, really, really deeply connected to my brother's energy and asking him to please send me some kind of physical sign. I didn't say any, what it might be. I just, I had a candle burning. I was like saying, can you make the flame move or can you just do something physical? I need to know that it's real. That's how I'm going to know. And nothing happened. And then when I woke up in the morning, I looked out my window and there was a bunch of red balloons caught right outside my window in the tree, right outside my window. And um, that is that just really blew me away. incredible. How do you explain that? It's, um, that's and amazing. I never, you know, I'd never seen any balloons there before. I've never seen balloons there since. Um, oh, that's given me chills. So, oh, it gave me chills, believe me. It was, <laughs> so I was amazing. ecstatic. I was yeah. ecstatic by that. You know, it was just beautiful. I had, so, a, I had a little lights, um, lights one the other day, which I messaged Sal about. I was just sitting in my lounge room and one of our kitchen lights, we've got those halogen down lights where there's quite a few different ones. And one of the lights came on and my partner said, why is that light just come on? The light switch was off. Wow. So and just one, even though there were a lot one. of lights. Yeah. And this is one that flickers often as well if I'm standing in the kitchen, but the light switch was off and I just, like that's I just incredible how long did it stay on I mean probably about 10 seconds or something it, it wasn't just, very long and then it just went off again yeah it's like it's like somebody's just saying hi right yeah. yeah I had um I had an experience Leslie I was reading your book and I was reading literally that paragraph where you talk about the lights um your brother sending you the signs and tampering with your lights and I put the book down and literally my phone started like flashing. So I had an app open and it was like moving, like flashing on my screen, like really fast. It's never happened and it hasn't happened since. And I was like, oh, that, I wonder whether that was a sign. Like, yes, we right. can do, you know, we can tamper with technology sort of thing. We can tamper with, you know, electricity because I was reading it on um, my Kindle and then obviously my phone. Um, and I had another sign recently, um, I was waiting for, um, I, I'd ordered a coffee and I was waiting for my coffee and a medium had told me that my mum will send me feathers. That's her sign for me, white mm -hmm. feathers. And, um, there was an older lady with her mum and they were ordering coffee together. And I just remember thinking, oh, how, how lovely is that? How lucky is that lady that she's, you know, she looks to be in her sixties or seventies and she's got her mum with her and at that moment right. and I was and then I was thinking about my mum and then I looked down and there was a big white feather literally like at my feet that's so beautiful that's so beautiful I'm sure you have that feather somewhere very safe and precious in your yeah. in your home that's beautiful I'm so happy for you 
it's just comforting, isn't it? It's just, you know, oh, as... there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that personal experience. And it's not like you can really ever convey to somebody else what it feels like, you know, and we just have to be open and allow the signs to be what, what they are for us. Yeah. Just be open to it, you know? I mean, we, you know, and somebody can say, well, how do you know? Well, you just know, and maybe somebody, maybe some people are going to be a little more rigorous about what they're willing to accept as a sign than others, but it doesn't matter. It's like what works for you mm -hmm. and what is conveying that for you and what is healing for you. That's what's important. It's not some objective thing about, well, this was or wasn't a sign, you know, it's what we make of it. And um, I think I think if we just open up to that, we're going to most people will get the signs. Um, so, so that's a wonderful true. story about the feather. Thank and it's you. incredibly healing as well. Like Sal and I, you know, we're both big fans of speaking with mediums and it's brought us both a lot of comfort, but it's also been really healing in mm -hmm. our grief as well. Like knowing that death isn't the end and knowing that our, our moms can communicate with us through energy somehow, like it's so comforting to know. Definitely. You I feel, agree. You feel yeah. like you can have a relationship with that person you know, you, you can still form a relationship and still communicate with them and that it yeah. hasn't ended. And I think for people who have lost someone close to them, that that is such a huge source of comfort. I agree. And I think going to, to really good mediums is a big part of that too. I mean, I think for me, it was the combination of the readings I had and the, the after death communications that I had. And I'm not sure the ADCs would have meant as much without the readings. So I, I think for people who want that connection, if you can go to a good medium and then be open to these experiences, I agree with you. It is so helpful in dealing with grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so helpful to me. And I do feel like I, I have a new relationship with my brother now. In some ways, it's more profound than it was when he was alive, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's just different. But I do feel like I'm, I can connect with him when I want to. And it is, it's, as you said, it's like, you still have a relationship. It just changes. And it's, it's not like the grief doesn't goes away. I mean, we all have to go through our grief and I still grieve for my brother. Um, but you also have this other thing happening, which really, really helps. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to have had some two profound readings too, that I wrote about in my book that really helped. So at yeah. those yeah, I just encourage people so much to, to do this if they lose somebody. Mm. It really makes a big difference. I think a lot of people hold back from it. I don't know why. I feel like times that like it's getting a bit better now where people are more open to spiritual aspect. But, yeah, I don't know why. Like there's still a little bit of um, skepticism around that type of thing. There might also be a fear that some people have that may, what if it doesn't mm. work out? or something. I mean, I, I worry about people who really want to sign and don't get one. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to say to them. It's painful. Um, but with a reading the medium, if it doesn't work out, you can always go to another medium. I mean, and you just, you'll be convinced if you have a reading that blows your mind, then you'll be convinced. But until you try, you don't know. So, um, <laughs> You just have to be sure you go to somebody who's really been recommended to you. You know, you know, is really good. And yeah. that's not always e easy to do, but that's, that's really crucial. So, 
Can you tell yeah, our, I, our listeners your tricks, Leslie, on picking a good medium and making sure that they, you know, uh, that it's hard because they're the good, really good ones are very hard to get appointments with. But um, you know, there are there are organizations. There are two organizations in America that have have a program of certification for mediums where they're really, really tested pretty rigorously and they have to pass these tests where they do certain readings and then they're scored by, by these people who sit with them and so on. Um, and one of them is called the Forever Family Foundation and they have a whole list of mediums that have passed these certification tests that you can contact. It doesn't matter where you are in the world because they all work over the phone or computer or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's one way people can find mediums, because at least, you know, these all these mediums have been tested. Mm -hmm. And the other organization in America is called the Winbridge Institute, and they also have a list of certified mediums. And some of them have been certified by both Winbridge and Forever Family Foundation. So I decided with my book, well, I'm going to try to find one that's been with both, you know, and then I was able to ask uh, the head of Forever Family who they, you know, if he could really recommend somebody who's really, really good. And since I was writing the book, he wanted to help me. So that's how I was able to get Laurelyn Jackson. That was before she became really famous like she is now. And now you just, she's like really unavailable, period. Yeah. She's so booked up. But um, I was fortunate enough to get in with her just before she wrote her first book and became really well known. So I would suggest to people looking for mediums, if, you know, I don't know what's, I'm sure in Australia, there's also ways to find mediums, but in America, and again, they, you can do it from anywhere in the world. Those two organizations, you can check out their list and just try to try sitting with some of those mediums. And, you know, as long as you can afford it, you know, I mean, I don't think a lot of them are that expensive. Um, you just keep keep doing it, do it, do it more than once, especially if you don't have a great experience the first time. Mm. And maybe sometimes and what was amazing for me was what with both readings, when things were repeated, really obscure things that were repeated from one medium to the other. To me, that was just really evidential oh, wow. when that happened. And I actually asked my loved ones to repeat themselves. So, you know, you can you can do your own tests and you can. And I also recommend to people that before you have a reading, you really tune into your person and let them know and to ask them to come through for you and be really connected to them before you have your reading. I did that once before a reading with a woman named Karen Ryan, which was really good. Um, I spoke to my mum out loud the night before because I have heard that when you are talking to spirit, it's good to speak out loud. Um, mm. So I said to my mum, we had a thing about butterflies, like my mum is a butterfly for me in, in spirit. And um, I said to her, look, if you are there and if you are going to connect with this woman, just tell me butterflies. And halfway through the reading, the woman said, look, this is going to sound really weird. And obviously it's a, you know, a very spiritual sign, but your mum is really wanting me to say butterflies. That's so awesome. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That's so awesome. I mean, those moments are just so precious. I know. That's... And I just burst into tears. I was like, she's there. I... Like, you just know that they're there. You know it. Moments. I mean, yeah. how else do you explain that? I mean, it, some people, you know, there's a whole discussion here about, about, human side being responsible for it, that, that the, the medium is telepathic. Some people will argue, well, maybe she's reading your thoughts about butterflies mm. and that's what's happening. And she doesn't really realize that, but it's really got nothing to do with the dead person. But, you know, you can't prove it one way or the other. And when you have a reading and an experience like that, you know, mm -hmm. 
you know, right? I mean, I had those kinds of things happen to me too in my readings. There's just nothing, nothing like it. I'm so, you know, it's so validating. It's such proof that, so I'm so happy that that happened for you. Yeah. Your mom came through, right? She comes through quite a lot. She's very strong in the spirit world. That's so great. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if your two moms know each other in the spirit world. Well, well, (laughs) we think that they orchestrated our meeting. So my sister had a reading with another medium. Obviously, we like to speak to mediums. It's quite an <laughs> obsession. Um, and in my sister's reading, the woman kept saying, who's Rose or Rosa? There's a woman called Rose that your mum is with in the spirit world. And, and, and this would have um, been like a month after we met, right? So it was kind of, it, the reading happened probably about a month after Im and I met and before we decided to start Good Morning. So it was quite early on into our friendship journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my sister couldn't think of anyone at the time. She's like, oh, maybe a great grandmother or my middle name's Rose. So, but she couldn't quite figure out um, what the relation was. And then I was having lunch with Sally on Sal's mum's birthday and my sister called and um, she said, oh, what are you up to? I said, I'm just having lunch with Sal. It's her mum's birthday today. She said, oh, tell her, you know, I said my love. What was her mum's name? And I said, Rose, and she, that's when the penny dropped and she went, oh, oh my God, mom's with Rose. That's <laughs> so, so cool. Kind of, yeah. So yeah. we think that they are together and cause they were, they were very similar. And I always have, I have this joke that Sal is like the daughter that my mom wish she always had. Um, so I feel like my mom specifically picked Sal out for me to kind of not replace her, but, you know, help me through this, which is so beautiful. And I feel my mum did the same. Like I think she sent Imogen <laughs> to me, and and we actually um, only realised a couple of months ago that we, the when we met the meeting that the support group meeting that we met at for the first time was actually uh-huh. um, held at a pub called the Rose Hotel. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so glad you guys have been through all of this positivity, so that. You, you know, to help you through what you had to go through losing your mums. Mm, it's um, yeah, we've had some really comforting signs and it's just like we touched on earlier. It's just nice to think that they're there guiding you and communicating with you and that you can have this relationship with them after death. It, it's not the end. And absolutely. Um, Leslie, on the topic of mediumship, um, we've got another listener question for you here um and this one is about both mental mediumship and physical mediumship so Mm -hmm. they would like to know which of your experiences with both physical and mental mediumship stood out the most and why i had a reading with laurel and jackson and then a second one with sandra o'hara they were maybe three or four months apart and they just stood out because of the unbelievable amount of specific and accurate information that came through and the personalities of my two, my brother and my friend who died in 2011, their personalities came through both times in such similar ways. The mediums were even reacting to their personalities with the same kind of language. I mean, it was so stunning to me. And then I had asked my loved ones, both of them, to, to repeat something in the second reading that they said in the first reading. I said, that's, I, I, I just said to them in meditation, this is how I'm really gonna know it's you. I need you to do this. Say something exactly the same with Sandra that you'd said with Laura, they both did it. Wow. And it was the most personal and intimate detail that 
that they said. It wasn't something like how they died. It was a very personal message that they had given to me in the first reading. So, I mean, I was just completely blown away. It gives me chills to even think about that, mm. that they did that, that that came through a second time like that. And I remember just sitting there having the reading. I just could, was stunned when both of those, those phrases came through for me. So those were really incredible readings. I mean, I don't think those kind of things happen that often, but you can always ask your loved ones. And I, I decided if it didn't come through for me, I didn't expect it would happen. But I thought I've got nothing to lose by asking, and it just it worked. Um, but anyway, both those readings were amazing. Um, and then physical mediumship is a whole different kind of a thing. It's much harder to understand. It would, you know, it's it's much more unusual. Not many people have experiences with really good physical mediums. Um, and basically, what happens with the physical medium is the the medium will will go into a deep trance. And then the spirits will use that medium's body to speak through that body. The, the medium is basically gone somewhere. He's like, I'm completely, I, I work with a medium named Stuart. So I'll just use him as an example, Stuart Alexander in the UK. And um, he's completely unconscious. And then he, his body becomes a tool for the spirit team that he works with to actually speak through his vocal cords. And, and these, these spirit beings are able to manipulate things in the room. So that all these physical phenomena happen, which is why it's called physical mediumship. It's all very physical. And you can witness um, things like the levitation of objects, uh, instruments being played, you know, um, drums, drumsticks beating on the table, voices speaking out of thin air, uh, matter going through matter. You know, there's just all kinds of, they call them experiments that the spirit team does. And there's a component of it that's like mental mediumship where they also bring in loved ones to, to speak with people who are in the room. But what's amazing is that the loved ones will try to speak through the medium themselves. And if they can do that, you can actually have a conversation with them. You know, so, you know, but it's, it's in my experience with Stuart, it's, it's very short and it's not that specific. So it's not like you get a whole lot of evidential information. It's very, what they say is it's, it's very difficult for them to do this. And the spirit team who works with him has been working with them for 30 years or however, you know, really long, cause he's in his seventies and he started when he was in his twenties, 50 years. I mean, they developed gradually, but they, they've worked with him for so long that they have this ability to do this. But for somebody new, it's much harder. But it is just very different because you're witnessing these phenomenal things that are not supposed to be able to happen in the physical world. And they do happen and you see it with your eyes. Now it's in the dark, but things, some things are lit up. The objects that float around are lit up. Um, and the, one of the more amazing things that happens with Stuart Alexander and every physical medium is different is that there's a hand, a, a human hand that actually materializes in the light. You can see this process. Yes. Um, yes. And I, you know, that, that's just phenomenal. They use the substance called ectoplasm, which people think probably laugh when they hear it and think of Ghostbusters or something, <laughs> but it really is a real energetic substance. And I've written in my book about some of the research that's been done, you know, for the last hundred years by the, the best of the best in the scientific world who, in this, particularly in the early part of the set of the 1900s, who studied mediums that had 
these ectoplasmic things happening. So they've been able to document the reality of this. It's not just hallucinations or fantasies or whatever. It's really well documented. So I was fascinated by reading this research. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to discover this medium in England and have the experience myself. And I've been working with them now for more than five years. So anyway, that really was a life-changing experience for me. And, and when the hand form, Leslie, in your book, you talk about touching it and that it felt like like a human hand, like how was that experience? Was it frightening or because when you think about being in that situation, like it, it must be surreal. Like, how did it feel for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think because I was so well prepared because I'd read, I mean, this has happened before for many, many years uh, with other people. So I had read about it. I kind of knew the way it worked because it tends to be the same kind of process. I had a, an expectation that it would probably happen. So, you know, it wasn't like as shocking as it would have been if it just came out of the blue. I was kind of prepared, but nonetheless, it was absolutely mind altering. I mean, you're sitting and looking at this empty table, which is lit up. You see this cloud of looks like water come over the table gradually from come. You're sitting the tables between you and the medium. The medium is strapped into his chair and you suddenly see. So it's sort of like this. You suddenly see these digits form and then this hand just kind of lifts up like this and bangs on the table. It makes a sound. So, you know, it's physical. And then I was allowed to hold it. So it's like my hand and this person. And I was like this. And it it felt like I'm saying it was a human hand. I mean, it was this one of Spirit's Stuart's spirit team members, his name is Walter, actually talks through the process. He says that he can put his etheric hand into the ectoplasm and create this physicality somehow because of he was once a physical being and somehow they can do that. But it felt like absolutely normal, you know, knuckles, everything, knuckles, fingernails, but it was extremely large and very warm. And the skin was so soft, it felt like the newborn baby, which I thought was fascinating because I'm thinking, well, yeah, it was just created. So no wonder it's like super soft, right? Yeah. Even though it was the size of a, of a man's hand, it was large, but um, it really is stunning. And then the thing just goes and it's disappeared and you know it, it is just phenomenal and who would ever believe you if you told them you know unless there are people like us who are open to this i mean it's just incomprehensible nobody's ever going to believe this but there are many people over the years who have experienced this with Stuart alexander um, and i would encourage people to look up his mediumship he has a book called an extraordinary journey which describes the whole way that he developed and how it started and it's really a profound and beautiful, beautiful book. And I wrote, I wrote an epilogue for that book. It's just reissued a new version of it. And I wrote an epilogue, which describes my own journey with Stuart. Um, so I, I would encourage anybody interested in physical mediumship to get that book. Um, because it is something you just cannot believe it happens, but it happens, you know? And I wish there were more physical mediums. That's part of the thing is it's so rare that so few mm -hmm. people ever experience this. And that's why, it makes it even harder for people to accept that it's real. But yeah, it is absolutely life altering. 
and mysterious to experience the materialization of a hand like that. And there have been materializations of full beings in his in his seance room too. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> you can't wrap your mind around no, it. I'm no, telling you. It's not little. <laughs> there is, and but there is literature on it. This has been going on for a long time, and there are well-documented physical mediums, as I was saying, that have been studied and, and you know under strict controls by scientists where this is all been documented that it's not fraud it's not a hoax yeah, but these so are real phenomena so that no one else could kind of get in and tamper with it yeah exactly and they control yeah. the medium by holding his his arms and his legs he's in a trance but they make sure the medium can't move they control everybody in the room nobody can bring anything in i mean it's you know, it's these the scientists know how to do this. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the, a lot of them who did it in the with the, some of these great, great mediums expected they, they did it because they were they wanted to prove that they were frauds. Mm -hmm. That's what they expected to do. And of course, there were a lot of frauds. There were lots of frauds and and those people were called out. But the great ones who were not frauds, they were able to document the reality of what they were doing. And most of them were, you know, were in the early, the first half of the of the 20th century, in the 1900s to 1950 or so, was were sort of like the golden age of physical mediumship. And there are great books and papers about some of those mediums that have been documented. So mm -hmm. I just want people to know I'm not in some fantasy land with Stuart Alexander. This is something is <laughs> well documented. Um, and so we'll, yeah, we'll link to all of these books as well in our show notes for any of our listeners that wants to delve into more on this because it's so fascinating. Um, I'm conscious. Find, yeah. I'm conscious of taking up too much of your time, Leslie. But we also wanted to delve into reincarnation, which is another big topic. Um, we were absolutely blown away by the case studies that were in your book, and particularly the one of the boy. James, who was having recollections of his past life as a pilot in World War II. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I mean, it is a very, very amazing case because he was so young. He was only two, this little boy, James, um, when he started to have these memories. He just started talking about um, things to do with uh, being a World War II bomber. And, and, you know, he didn't phrase it quite like that, but he would start talking. He was obsessed with airplanes. He freaked out when he saw one in a museum. He started, he knew the parts of the planes and how they worked and stuff like that. Um, and then he started to have these nightmares about uh, crashing in a plane and over and over and over again, we'd wake up, he would be in absolute terror, kind of in this fetal position. And he would say, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. That's what his parents quoted. He would say over and over again. And eventually, you know, at various times, he revealed the name of that pilot. He revealed the name of the best friend of the pilot. He revealed the name of the aircraft carrier that he flew off of. He pointed to it on a map. I mean, it was over a period of a year or two that certain very specific facts came out of him. And his father was determined to prove that this could not be reincarnation because he didn't believe in it. So he researched everything that his son told him about. And every time he did, it seemed to add up. And eventually he went to a reunion because they, they knew the plane came off the ship called the Natoma Bay because James had told them that name. So anyway, it's a long story, but his dad finally went to a reunion of veterans from the ship and found all this information about who the person was. And the interesting thing is that James Lining or the little boy had said that 
the the pilot who he was was named James. The dad and his mom would say, "Who is this little man that can't get out?" And he'd say, "It's it was me. It was it's James." And they thought, "Well, he's just saying his own name." And when he was um, and then he started to draw all these pictures when he was a little kid, about three years old, of these planes crashing and being shot down. Just endless pictures, and he would sign them James three. And his parents said, why do you sign them James three? And he said, because I'm the third James. They didn't know what to make of this. Anyway, he, when he went to the reunion, his dad found out that there was only one person who had died in a crash off of that particular aircraft carrier. And his name was James Houston Jr. So he had the name James and the fact that he was a junior made this little boy, James the third. Remember he used to say, I'm, I'm the third James. So it went from a junior to James three, and they they met the sister of the pilot who had died in World War Two. Uh, little James met the sister, and he remembered all this stuff about their childhood, and she was convinced. Yes. She sent him photographs of you know the airplane that James had said was the type of specific plane that he was flying. You know all this stuff happened. How incredible and, would that have been for her as well? Like, yeah, absolutely. She was in her eighties. Oh wow. And, and, and she ended up giving little James, uh, you know, little artifacts from her brother's life and stuff, you know, because she she was just blown, I mean, she just blown away by it. He went to one of these these veterans, these uh, reunions with all these veterans and he was carrying on about war stories and stuff. <laughs> I mean, like he knew all the stuff that he should never have known. Um, and his best friend who he'd given the name for, Jack Larson, they were also able to track him down. He was actually flying the same day that James Houston died and he was still alive. So it was just so, everything was verified that he talked about. That's what was so amazing about it. And it was, you know, yeah. So it's just an amazing story and I don't know how else you can explain it. He was convinced that he was that, that pilot. And we went back in Surviving Death for Netflix, the series, we went back and met with James when he was 21, for those of you who have seen it. And it was just really interesting to talk to him about how this had affected his life, which you can see if you watch it. Mm. And what really struck me was the fact that he still gets flashbacks from that plane crash. Mm. Um, it's not, it hasn't been an easy thing to remember this. And he was describing how when he was in a car crash, it wasn't a serious one, but it was just going to be like a bumper fender bender thing. He was about to collide into this car. And he suddenly had this flashback to this airplane crash. And he said, it's really like knowing that you're going to die. And it still haunts him to this day, but the rest of it, he doesn't remember. So anyway, it's just a fascinating story. And there are other cases. There's another case I write about in my book, which is equally as, as powerful um, so I find that's how I got interested in this topic was mm. through these cases who, which had been researched by the university of Virginia in America. Um, you mentioned Ian Stevenson. Anyway, they've been well-researched and documented. And I, I, as a journalist, they're so clear cut, mm. you know, you have the facts of what the kids said and you have the verification and there's, it's just very black and white in a certain way. So that's kind of what drew me into all of this in the first place. And fascinating 
It's absolutely fascinating. And, and what I loved about reading James's case in particular was that his, that, that James Houston Jr.'s sister, uh, I think it's, is it Annie, her name? Is Annie. It Annie? Annie, Annie yeah. yeah. Said she, you know, she believed that that was her brother reincarnated because some of the facts that he said, you know, and the, the, the intricate details that he shared from their childhood that, you know, there's absolutely no way, um, that's right. No way he could, she could. I mean, again, that's yeah. not documented. We have to take her word for it. But um, I do take her word for it because why would she fabricate anything, yeah. you know? It's absolutely so, yeah. fascinating. Isn't it? It's so, so fascinating. fascinating. So anyone that hasn't watched Surviving Death on Netflix yet, go ahead, get, schedule it for this weekend, watch it because it is absolutely amazing. If you haven't read Leslie's book, um, Get, grab a copy because it is just honestly Leslie it's one of the best books that we've read um period it's absolutely brilliant um and Leslie last question from us based on your experience or your experiences what <laughs> message would you give to listeners who have lost a loved one and what would you say to skeptics well, I would say to listeners who've lost a loved one, because, you know, I have two and so have both of you. I mean, I would say that I really, that I think the research and people's experiences show that, I mean, highly suggest that your loved one is not completely gone. Now, we, we can't prove it, but I believe that that's the case. There's there's something that happens after some, there's some place where they go, there's some manifestation that occurs of their consciousness. We don't know exactly what that is, but I would encourage them to not think of it as the person is being completely gone forever. And that if you can find a way to connect with that energy, whatever works for you to do that, even if it's just in your own meditative you know, place, I would encourage people to do that as well, because I know for me, it was extremely helpful. I know for both of you, it was helpful. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just encourage people to be open to all of this. Um, and it really helps with grief and it really helps with healing. And there is so much evidence that suggests that death is not the end. And I just want to say about my book, you mentioned it, I really appreciate that. There's just so people know, there's a lot of information in my book that is not in the series. And there are things in the series that are not in my book. Um, so they're, they're really quite different from each other. The series is more of a personal journey, stories of people's personal stories. And my book is has a lot more sort of meat to it. But yeah, I mean, I would I would encourage skeptics to just read the research. Mm. I'm assuming that most skeptics are coming from an intellectual perspective. Um, and I would like to know if a skeptic reads my book and looks up the references that I give, whether they're really still a skeptic after that. Yes. I mean, they're going to have to find a few things in there that are going to make them question, you know? Um, and I've sort of highlighted what I think are the most evidential confounding things to try to explain away. So I think a lot of skeptics don't do their homework. Mm. Um, I'm willing to, you know, I think skepticism is a good thing. And I think if, it, if you're going to be speaking out about something, you know, you've got to do the work that gives you the right to be a skeptic. Mm. I don't know. I don't hold anything against it. If somebody reads my book or reads other literature and then says, you know, I've read it all and I still think X, Y, and Z, they're absolutely entitled to that opinion and that perception. And I'm, I respect it. Mm -hmm. But when they haven't done that, 
or they'll just say, well, physics doesn't allow for this, therefore it can't happen. It's basically saying it can't happen, therefore it doesn't happen. There's that sort of the theorem that a lot of these scientists have. But the problem is it does happen. And so rather than being open to that, they'll just decide since it doesn't fit within our framework, it can't happen. Therefore, it's, it's you know, it doesn't happen. And therefore, I'm going to dismiss it and I'm going to be a skeptic. So I think it's a question of open mindedness and to also realize that there's not everything can be explained through the laws of physics that we have. Uh, there are things that happen that do not fit within that worldview or that and maybe there are other dimensions in which different laws apply um but i know because i've seen it with my own eyes and i trust myself i you know uh and other people have too so these things do happen and i hope someday that the skeptical community will be curious enough to want to understand and will be curious enough to say well if these things are happening, let's try to find out what the, what's going on mm. rather than saying it doesn't fit within the world as we understand it. Therefore, it can't be happening. So, you know, I just hope that sometime and there are more and more scientists who are getting interested in this and more and more skeptics who are open minded. I think that the idea that consciousness is not generated by the brain is really accepted by a lot of people within the scientific world now. I mean, it's becoming much more, that premise is becoming much more accepted and much more widespread. Um, I don't know about an afterlife, but it's just the fact that the brain is not the source of consciousness, but that it's more like an antenna for a field that's out there um, is really, you know, there are many, many scientists who accept that or certainly accept that are as open to that as they are to any other possible explanation for consciousness. So I think we're moving towards that a little bit more, mm -hmm. but skeptics can't be just dismissive of things because it doesn't fit the perspective that they have. That's, that would be my main message. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of good literature out there that's yeah. really, and I've tried to bring that into my book, that's very convincing and well-documented that they should read. And I'd like to hear what they have to say after they read it. Yes, I would yes. Say, you've absolutely done that, <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> Your so, work is phenomenal. Any listeners on the fence, read Leslie's book, Surviving Death. To your point earlier, Leslie, having read your book and watched the Netflix series, they are very different. So I think if you want to get a holistic perspective on everything that you have researched, I think it's good to read both the book and watch the Netflix series. They complement each other very well. They, they do. Really They're do. really quite different. They complement each other. That's exactly right. And a lot of this stuff in the series is not, is not in my book at all. So, um, and also I just want people to know that if they want to communicate with me, they can come on my Facebook page because I love to discuss anything in the book that's perplexing to people or they want to talk about. Um, I have a very active kind of discussion element on my Facebook page. So I'd be happy to hear from people Brilliant. if they do want to communicate. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll link that in our show notes as well. But um, Leslie, it has been the highlight of our August to speak to you. Um, thank you so much for joining Such us. Treat. Such a treat. Well, it was great to meet both of you. And I, I think you're both just beautiful people. And I'm so, I'm just inspired by the journey you both are on Aww. with all of this. 
And thank I thank you. you for doing this podcast. It's wonderful. Thank you for coming on this podcast. It's just, you did not disappoint, Leslie. This has been such an amazing conversation. And I know that our listeners are going to take so much away from it. So thank you for your time. I'm so glad. And I hope maybe we'll do it again sometime. Nice to meet you both. Yes, so please. nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, good night. Good night, Leslie. Bye. Good night. Bye. I have been so excited to speak to Leslie all week and she did not disappoint. That was absolutely and what an amazing conversation. Such a highlight for us on this podcast. I feel I'm just blown away by everything that she said. It's just given us so much reassurance. And she is one of the nicest human beings I think I've ever spoken to. She is just a delight. And anyone that hasn't already read Surviving Death or watched the Netflix documentary, definitely give it a go. It is so interesting and fascinating. And hopefully it might bring you some comfort. And what a way to kick off season three. Thank you all for tuning in. We have also set up a private Facebook community group for anyone that's needing some extra support and comfort during this time. You can find us on Facebook. It's called Good Morning Grief Community, or you can find the link to it in our Instagram as well. Take care, everyone. And we will be back very soon with another exciting episode of Good Morning. See you soon, guys. 